This is Abby Marish, your friendly neighborhood church communications director and editor of Marginalia, a podcast of New City Presbyterian Church. I wasn't able to join in the recording of this week's episode due to a scheduling conflict, so Brian and Josh sat down with Mike Frivatera. During their 50-minute conversation, they discussed life in Cincinnati, a bit about Brian and Mike's stories, um, about what Mike is doing on Xavier's campus through CCO, and they also looked at the sermon from Sunday that we found in John 2 about Jesus cleansing the temple. So you're listening to part one right now. This is just a fun conversation between Mike, Brian, and Josh. Part two should also be in your podcast player right now, and that's a conversation about anger, the role it plays in the Christian life, and what is happening in John 2 when Jesus cleanses the temple. So sit back, and without further ado, enjoy. Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. This is Marginalia, a podcast where the pastors and staff at New City Church in Cincinnati discuss the scribbles in the margins of our Sunday sermons, as well as whatever else is going on in the life of the church. I'm Josh Rotano, and today I'm talking with Brian Ferry and Mike Prevatera about their bizarro lives, life in general, ministry in Cincinnati, also a little bit about the anger of Jesus. Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Hello. This Happy. is the most bearded podcast we've ever had. I believe you're right. I believe you're all right. beards. All it's, time. it's why we couldn't invite Ryan to join this one. I think. Yes. Not unbearded. Happy he, he Super Tuesday, by the way. Happy yeah, Super Tuesday. Super. Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys knew this. I just found this out this morning. Super Tuesday is not a wrestling thing. Like I thought it was. You know, Monday Night Raw, Friday Night SmackDown, Super, Super Tuesday, Tuesday, but it's not. It's not at all for for. Wrestling, it turns out there is a uh, 14 states uh, voting. We're recording on Tuesday. And you don't have to pay-per-view it. 14, no pay-per-view. 14 states voting today in Democratic primary. So by the time that this podcast drops, the results will be in. But we are recording on Tuesday before any of that is in. So this is a chance for you guys to look smart. Any predictions about what's going to happen on Super Tuesday today? I think Bernie's going to show up strong. Bloomberg's going to look like a fool. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's either going to be Bernie or Biden. Uh, it's been interesting to see a lot of the uh, kind of Democratic establishment support all of a sudden turning to Biden, like uh, Buttigieg dropping out and Amy Klobuchar and all that. I would like to see all the candidates like WWE Raw style uh, fight it out. Though. What that if we turned Super fantastic. Tuesday into like a cage match? Yes. A couple other things. Uh, it is Irish American Month. Who's your hmm. favorite Irish person? Me. No. Uh, St. <laughs> Patrick. Oh. Well, actually, he's not Irish. He's British. I was going to say Bono. Yeah, that's fair. Bono. You know, if not Bono, Lucky from the Lucky Charms. Mm. Leprechaun. What about C.S. Lewis? Yeah, he's an Irishman. My great-grandma was fair enough. very Irish. So. I, I, I knew I've it. never met her. When I, I traveled to, met her. When I traveled to London by myself, I stayed with a, a Methodist preacher whose name was Patty. He was an Irishman. Serving in the Methodist Church in London. Nice. I like Patty. It's uh, National Celery Month. Nature's Floss, mm. I believe is what they call uh, celery. March 6th, which will probably be the day after this drops, is National Dentist's Day. Ooh. Which always calls to mind for me that Seinfeld episode where Jerry is accused by Kramer of being an anti-dentite. Because <laughs> he makes dentist jokes. <laughs> and... Uh, Jerry's making some jokes about him, and, and Kramer says, pretty soon you're going to want them to have their own schools. And he's like, they already have their own schools. 
Well, uh, we do start this um, podcast on a sad note. We are missing our normal uh, co-host and regular personality here on Marginalia, Abby Murrish. Uh, she's not with us today, and so I think the only appropriate thing to do would be to take an eight-minute moment of silence, if we could. She's still alive, though. We just yes. yeah, the way her. you make it, it's <laughs> like it's really sad that she's not here. She just had something else going on. There's absolutely nothing wrong. I think she just had a scheduling conflict. But is eight yeah. minutes too much, do you think, for dead airspace on a radio show? Is that... No, what could possibly go wrong? It's a podcast. You can do whatever you want. If we are going to take the eight minutes of silence, if you don't hear that when you're listening to this listener, it's because Abby has, in fact, edited Cut it out. She's the editor. Cut it in floor. In that that vein. You may not hear any of this either. She may cut this out. I have one goal for this episode, to make this a nightmare for Abby to edit, to teach her a lesson for missing missing this. We're going to have like a two and a half hour meandering conversation with absolutely no point. She's not going to think it's funny when she has to go through this, but like years (laughs) from now, she's going to chuckle, I think. uh, She may use the bleep button for the first time. (laughs) Perhaps. Do we have one of those? We 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 will. We will now. Yes. We have like, we have some sound effects that we have yet to use, but we do have a lot to talk about though today. So perhaps we should get into it. Uh, you know, most people think probably that we interact a lot outside of work. And the truth is I, I know virtually nothing about you guys. I mean, for one thing, I forbid you all from speaking to one another. That's how I I fear a mutiny. And so you're not allowed to talk to one another. Uh, Typically, you know, I, I, uh, I find your company distasteful. So I don't, and interact with you very much. I forbid eye contact because that would be disrespectful. The feeling is mutual. Um, <laughs> you just yell, look away anytime <laughs> someone dares glance upon you. Uh, so maybe we could get to know you all a little bit. Uh, in all seriousness, I do think you all have uh, some kind of bizarro lives in the sense that um, you have some things that uh, coalesce between the two of you. For example, both of you are musicians. Both were in bands mm-hmm. in high school and beyond. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, do you want me to start? Yeah. What was oh. your band's name? So I was down. in several bands in high oh. school. So I was uh, grew up in Canton, Ohio, and the punk rock scene was very big in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I was in several punk rock bands. Angst Over Agony was a leftist. That's the uh, Post 9-11, anti-Republican establishment, political band. Um I was in a Pixies ripoff, like I think we were called Devastation in C minor. <laughs> I don't know which of those. Those are both. I have yeah. no idea if your music Fantastic was any good at all, but no. great names. Yeah. Really good names. I mean, it was probably okay. It probably wasn't great. Devastation in C minor. Yeah. I love it. And that was well, a that's band one of the hardest college. things is to name a band. Yeah. Really. It was a band in college called the Vercos, and we were like a, I don't know what. Glam, not glam rock. That's a wrong. Emo? No, it wasn't emo. Emo was dead by then. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. How about you, Brian? I DJed for a while. Yeah, I played drums in a band for a number of years called Promenade and uh, loved it for a while. You know, it was really, that's what got me into playing music. My friend Steve taught me how to play drums over the phone. They talked me into buying a drum set and had the wireless phone in my ear. And he said, do this with your right hand, you know, step with your foot on the one and hit the snare on the three. And once you figure that out, call me back. So that's... How I started playing drums, played in a band for a number of years. Alternative rock back in the 90s when that was cool. So when you say wireless phone, you don't mean a cell phone. Oh, no. Yeah. no there for were, the younger There were no cell phones then. But then, then when you left Promenade, you had a couple self-titled projects, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, just uh, my name. 
That's you were right. called a either review and was it City Beat or yeah. what? City Beat magazine said that you were a boozy Tom Waits. Boozy Tom Waits. Which is funny because Tom Waits already boozy. Very boozy. Quite like boozy. He's been drunk yep. for decades. That's what your voice sounds like. Yep. So so both of you all have that in common, right? Both of you also had a circuitous route to graduating seminary, multiple mm-hmm. stops along the way. Why don't you guys say something about that? Yeah, I think I have five schools represented my transcript. I started at Xavier University in the Master of Arts of Theology program, thinking I might try some academics, and very quickly realized that was not the path for me. And then it was about the time Cheryl and I got married, then transferred to Asbury Seminary, did about a third of my seminary there while we were living in eastern Kentucky, working at a camp and retreat center. And then our oldest daughter was born, and we moved back to Cincinnati and went to Cincinnati Bible Seminary, also picked up some credits. Now defunct. Now defunct. Um, picked up some Rest credits at United Seminary in Dayton. Also had some Greek from the Athenaeum of Ohio, Mount St. Mary's of the West, right here in Cincinnati. Back when this was the West, that's how old that Catholic seminary is. I think we're only missing Hebrew Union for you, yeah. in, at least in the tri-state area. One of my, my Hebrew there. professor was did go to Hebrew Union. Oh, that doesn't count, but close. So I think five schools, but the degree is from Cincinnati Bible Seminary, which is... May it rest in peace. Now you have to do your, you have do to do your, you start to do your MDiv all over again since it doesn't exist. A do over MDiv. Uh, I have a lot less schools, but I started, I was going to be an ELCA Lutheran pastor and started at Trinity Lutheran in Columbus, Ohio. And then after semester transferred to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. I bet it took there. me longer. How long did it take you? Uh, 2007 to 2011 is how long it took me. Yeah. I crammed a three year degree into 10 years. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Now, you both interviewed for the same job at New City once upon a time. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about Mike's story. we got a few, uh, few things to do to pay the bills. Sponsoring Marginalia today, we have Huber Lumber, your one-stop shop for lumber supply at Huber Lumber Company. We are committed to providing a comprehensive range of building materials for construction projects in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. We're far more than a simple traditional lumber yard, constantly organizing, sorting their stock, make it easier for you to find the exact items you're looking for. Family owned and operated since 1903, and uh, they have a store right here in uh, Norwood. We actually had our screen door repaired. Our dog decided that they thought our screen was a doggy door, went right through it. And so we took our door to Huber Lumber and uh, they did a great job. Huber Lumber Company. Huberize means economize is what they say. Local family owned business. Our second sponsor today is Home Depot, the largest home improvement retailer in the United States, supplying tools, construction products and services, everything you would want in a big box store. Home Depot, we crush the little guy. That is an unfortunate juxtaposition of sponsors. sponsors. We got to really. Who's in charge of that? Think through this some more. I don't know. Abby's not here. Let's blame it on her. Thanks, Abby. We are we're back. Mike. Yes. You're an odd fellow. Yes. Uh, no question. That was just uh, yeah, an observation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> second. <laughs> second. Uh, why don't you tell us? Wh- and you know, I was joking earlier about us not 
me not know anything about you guys. I, I do know a lot. We do actually spend quite a bit of time together, all of us on our staff team, which is one of the most fun things about our staff. But it, it you know, it's, um, I think it'd be great if um, some of our listeners got to know a little bit about you and your story and how God brought you here. So wh- where'd you grow up and what was that like? Yeah, so I grew up in North Canton, Ohio, uh, which is just south of Cleveland by an hour, um, kind of suburb of Akron, Northeast Ohio. LeBron James. Yeah, North North Canada is not his home, but uh, LeBron James is from out that way. Yeah, I did some time in Cuyahoga Falls. That's right. Yeah, that's elementary yeah, so school close. time when I was that's, that's close there. Uh, home you know of the, the phrase "did some time" implies prison, right? I realize now that it was <laughs> maybe not what I intended to say. Okay, home uh, of Hoover, Hoover Vacuum Cleaners, North Canada, Ohio, and the Football Hall of Fame. Yes. So, so uh, okay, going from. I know we're fast forwarding it quite a bit here, but um, Northeast Ohio versus Southwest Ohio. Any observations since you and Melissa moved down here? What, yes. what What's different about and Cincinnati? My, my wife is from rural Central Ohio, so even that is different. Uh, and I've seen I've seen diagrams of this. Northeast Ohio is definitely more of an East Coast kind of in your face culture, a little bit harder edged. Um, no one cares how you're doing. No one smiles when you walk by. Is that why your personality? That's is so why my personality. It's true. Uh, it's always. In the, you don't see the sun for like eight months. Yeah, from blame October. it on the lake effect. It's the lake effect. You know, it's dying steel city. You don't see the sun. It's cold. Okay, so versus what you've experienced here. Yeah, here in Cincinnati is much more of a Midwest meets Southern culture. We don't have sweet tea in Northeast Ohio. At least we didn't for years. That's a shame. Yeah, that was not a thing. You had to put sugar in your tea. Got it. It's not the same. No, because it it's all granulated at yep. the bottom. Yeah. So when you all moved um, here... Uh, did it feel culture shocking at all, even though you're coming from the same state? No, well, no, because we had spent five years in St. Louis, which is, I think, very similar culturally to Cincinnati in terms of Midwest meets Southern River City, uh, kind of in the heyday in the same time period, 1800, late 1800s. Um, so for us, it felt like coming home because St. Louis had been home to us for a lot of times. So. Okay, so grew up in Northern Ohio. Um, how did you how did you come to know the Lord? What how did how did God work in your life in that regard? Yeah, well, I grew up um, mostly in the church. The Preveteras are Irish Italian, so started in the Catholic Church, um, and then in second grade, my parents we started going to a local Lutheran ELCA congregation, uh, mostly because I think my mom didn't care for the local priest, and had some friends that went there, and so I, I kind of grew up in the church, um, but didn't really. It was just something we did. It wasn't a big part of our lives. We lived a fairly, like a secular life. Like I don't remember really talking about the Bible much at home or reading scripture. We'd pray at meals and occasionally during Advent we'd do something. Um, but then in high school, uh, I had some friends who were Baptists. I remember going on a, a field trip. To, it was our class field trip to the museum, and on the bus, one of my friends who was a Baptist said, "You know, what do, what do Lutherans believe about salvation?" And I said, "I." don't know what that word means. Let me get back to you on that. Um, and I ended up kind of going to a, this defunct church library that we had in, in our church building and picked up a copy of Luther's small catechism and started reading that, trying to figure out what do Luther, Lutherans believe about salvation. And, and you know, I, I reported back to them like a couple of days later, like, well, we believe that we're justified by grace through faith. I had no idea what that meant at the time, but that sort of started me on this journey of investigation. Um, I'd been in the church, I played guitar at the church, which kept me in the church during high school, and had these friends who are Christians. Um, and then in college, I started at Kent State University and took a comparative religions course that was taught by this really zany Episcopal police priest that didn't really believe in anything 
at a time, but we experienced, we went to different, we went to a Sikh temple, and we went to, uh, I think we went to a mosque, and we studied all these world religions, and I remember being struck by the fact that, wow, there's so many options out there, and I think I'm a Christian, I don't know why, I need to figure out what's true and why it's true, uh, and that, that moment, it was also that, and I read Purpose Driven Life in college and there's a there's a part in that where you pray the sinner's prayer and i remember i think i was in the bathroom or something (laughs) reading it and i was like well i think i'm a believer but hey this can't hurt why not um but it was so it was really college where god grabbed me and then i ended up at uh, ashton university and picked up a theology religion major and got involved in campus ministry in a church and it was experiencing uh it was was a charismatic brother in church so i was getting to experience a different type of christianity from what i knew where the Lord really started to become real because people I was associating with actually like saying like God was real versus what I'd experienced growing up. Um, so really college is the time when God grabbed me through my campus ministry, through my, my campus pastor and, and studying the Bible, reading scripture. Um, and that was, that was that, that probably when I started sensing call to ministry. Does that uh, inform any of the way that you think about campus ministry now, your own experience as a college student? Yeah, you know, I've thought about this a lot. One of the things that I've reflected on a lot is that I don't remember a single thing my campus minister ever taught me or said to me, but I remember him spending time with me and like eating lunch with me in the cafeteria and like just getting coffee with me. And I, I, I just remember his presence as being really, really important in my life. And so that's something I've tried to, as I, whenever I stress out about what I'm teaching or what I'm saying or what I need to be doing on campus, I always think back to Aaron Wardle and his example of like, you know what, the Lord used just his presence in my life. And I um, suspect he was telling you things that were important and valuable absolutely. and orthodox, yes. but it was almost like a, um, an IV on a drip, yes. not a flood with a fire hose or one particular thing. It was the, the, the quantity of it over time yes. built up in you in such a way that it, um, you know, you may not, imperceptibly you were growing, learning, soaking these things in. Yeah. Um, but one thing doesn't necessarily stand out. No, no. And it was, I mean, it was just an example of his love, his life. You know, he was a guy who's in his thirties, early thirties. He was pretty cool. You know, he played guitar as a musician. Like there's just, just, and he loved Jesus and just that embodied reality of his faith, I think is what, kept me coming back in a lot of ways. So how did you start to get interested in thinking about vocational ministry? Uh, yeah. So I, I, one of the things I did, it was I took, I was a, started as a psych major and I had a double major in psych and theology. And I remember having a conversation with one of my psychology professors. Um, and he found out that I was studying both these things. And he, he said to me, well, you're going to have to choose. You can't do both as in, these two things, science and faith, don't go together, was kind of what he was saying. And my response, I didn't say this, but I remember thinking like, man, I really hate your class and you're kind of boring and <laughs> I really like my theology classes better. So, uh, okay, I'm choosing. I'll, I'll finish this psych major, but I'm not going to pursue this. Um, and so it was that was kind of the start. And then being involved in campus ministry, being part of the leadership team of that and um, just spending time studying scripture and, and loving my theology professors and uh, having in my life that was what set the course and I had thought about doing just a PhD in teaching at college um, and it was my senior year and both my I had a, one of my beloved theology professors and my campus ministers both said to me you know you should think about seminary uh, instead of you can do a PhD later think about seminary first do that first and see what happens um, and so that 
it was really their counsel that set me on a course of, okay, I'm going to pursue ministry. Um, but it wasn't until I was in St. Louis and serving in a church regularly that I really had a sense of calling to ministry. It wasn't until I was actually doing ministry that I knew that I was called to, if that makes sense. Because even in seminars, still kind of like trying to figure out, what am I, what am I doing with this? And so... Yeah, and so then you you were in Columbus um, in a seminary there, but then got connected to the PCA through a sister church. Yeah, of ours, Grace Central. Yep, Grace Central near Ohio State, and uh, and then discovering Presbyterian Church in America through that, you decided mm-hmm. to transfer to Covenant Theological yep. Seminary in St. Louis, yep. our denominational seminary. And then we met you um, interviewing for your position at New City uh, about three or four years before you actually came on staff. Yeah. Um, with us, we we got to know Mike and. Um, liked you a lot and liked Melissa and we even had you out for a whole weekend and, um, got to know you and ended up Brian take, taking that position. But then, um, but three years later when we began to think about a campus minister for Xavier, uh, well, at that time we were, it was a graduate student fellowship kind of position. And we, uh, met you again, mm-hmm. um, after having corresponded a few times in, in the in-betweening years, in-betweening, in the in-between years. And, uh, and then it was a great, great fit to have you come and join us. And you've been now at New City for... I'm in year six. Year 2014. Six. Started wow. here, so, yeah. But it feels like six months, right? Yes. Well, I don't, it's more been more like decades. It's, it's excruciating <laughs> most days. I'm surprised you haven't fired me yet, but... Tell me about, tell us all about uh, just what's going on at Xavier. What does CCO do? What do you do? Yeah, right now we are doing, we do a Tuesday night Bible study. Um, and students gather on Tuesday night in a classroom uh, in one of the buildings, and we are studying through the Book of Romans um, and helping students to unpack, you know, what what is the Bible? What does it mean? Why does it matter? Um, we just got back from the Jubilee Conference in Pittsburgh, which was a great time. Took six students, and we the whole weekend is focused on how, career, vocation, faith, and work. How do I how do I use these things that I'm studying for the common good and for God's glory uh, and the flourishing of the world? So, but essentially we, we at Xavier, we exist as a Protestant option for students in, I guess you would call it evangelical traditional Christianity. I mean, we're the only option for the general public uh, student body at Xavier. Um, So we really just, we exist to give students a chance to figure out who Jesus is to them and why he matters. And, um, doesn't matter if they're coming from Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox background. Like we want to do life together in college, following Christ, um, and helping them just to know God and his word and to grow and becoming part of a local church. And so day to day you spend, you know, probably what, 70% of your time on campus? Yeah. Yeah. On campus? Try to three to four days out of the week, try to be there. So you just sit in the cafeteria. Meeting with students. Meeting with students, drinking coffee, eating, eating food. That's wonderful. That's good. It was Euro Day yesterday in the CAF, which is my favorite day. Nice. Very good. If people who are listening uh, wanted to get involved with CCO, either by you know, praying for your ministry or um, wanting to financially support what you're doing, since we know that you raise support as part of mm-hmm. what you do. I mean, New City plays part of your salary, but you raise support uh, as well. How, how do they do that? Um, I mean, if you want to donate, the easiest way to do it is to get on the CCO's website, and uh, you can find me on there. Um, is that ccojubilee.org? .org. Yeah. So you can kind of give, and you can find my name. Um, but really, the biggest thing, I, I, I mean, and this is cliche to say this, but it's true, but prayer is one of the biggest things that we need. Um, 
especially in with, with so freshmen this year born in the year 2001. Um, they have only known a post 9-11 world and essentially an increasingly post-Christian culture. Um, and they're just, God is not on their radar for a lot of them. God's not even the afterthought for a lot of them. They're not thinking about what is the meaning of life? Why does any of this matter? Should I pursue God? Do I need God? And for most of them, the answer is I don't need God. So the biggest thing to pray for is that God would move on campus and begin to stir their hearts and draw them to himself and pray for revival and awakening. And, uh, and this is not just for us, but across the U.S. is the statistics that have been run. We, most campus ministers, all campus ministers combined, we believe we're only reaching 2% of college students nationwide out of all the college students. So 2%. That's every campus ministry organization combined. So there's a great need for a movement of God on the college campuses in America. Great. What's well, good work, Mike, and we're thankful to have you here. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Marginalia. For show notes or for more information about New City Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at newcitycincy.org. That's New City. C-I-N-C-Y dot org. Thanks for listening.